Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We are the podcast that gives you full-on nostalgia. Oh, it's so good, it's delicious. And we give it to you via TV show reviews and movie breakdowns and album reviews and top tens and whatever the hell we want to give it to you. That's how we're giving you your nostalgia. Because it's our nostalgia too. And it makes us really happy. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we have a super fantastic Super Bowly episode for you. This episode is releasing on Super Bowl Sunday, and we are going to tie in with a little football movie called Little Giants from 1994. And kind of continuing the sports theme, we are going to be doing the Nickelodeon game show that ran from the late 80s to the early 90s, and then it kind of popped back up every now and then, Uh, but that's the run we're going to be talking about, and that, of course, is Nickelodeon's famous game show, Double Dare. And for our casting, very similar to our baseball casting, we're going to do our own fantasy draft, which we're not going to do an entire fantasy football team. Way too many people. Yeah, a lot. So, but we're going to do some of the major positions, which are going to include, we're going to do one quarterback each, two running backs each, two wide receivers each, a tight end, two defensive players, and a coach. So, I mean, like a, like you would kind of for, you know, close enough to a fantasy team. Minus the kicker, because nobody cares about the kicker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If we had to do a kicker, I would probably do Morton Anderson, just because Morton Anderson was like, he was like old as fuck, and he, he just was like a fat little guy, and he, he still had that, what I remember, he had that, just that. That single bar, you know, kicking mask that he had yeah. on, like, like that, just an old school, like, oh, I'm a kicker, no one's actually going to tackle me, so I don't have to <laughs> really wear a, barely a helmet, but he was just kind of like a round little guy who, who just, he kicked forever. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, well, there you go. There's my early casting for a kicker for no reason. <laughs> Really excited about this episode. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about football. I think once we get into that casting, just yeah. in general, about like what you know, how we. I think even how we got into football because neither of us were big football people early on. But yeah, we'll talk about that later. Uh, I do want to mention that right now. Uh, if you haven't heard, we have a Patreon. Please go check us out. We would love uh, you guys to check us out. If you you know have the extra funds and you want to support us, fantastic. If not, no big deal. We understand that. Not everybody has the extra money. If you want to check it out, you can go to www.patreon.com slash blastpastcast. And in other exciting news, we have another iTunes review that came in. Woot woot! Very excited. Thank you so much. Uh, this was written by... Wheezy1214 with the title Giddy with Nostalgia. It says, This show brings me back to a happy place when I've seen the film and makes me want to go to Blockbuster. This is so good, it makes me wish I could go to a video store for the experience. These two gentlemen do a great job of painting the picture and setting up the beginning of each episode is definitely worth it. Uh, And then he kind of calls out his name as Mark's1684. So I'm not sure if it's Mark1684 or Wheezy1214. They're the same person. Doesn't matter. We really appreciate you. That was a five-star review. Thank you very much. I'm uh, I'm tickled that he called us gentlemen. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I I've been listening to the past, like just the past two episodes that we put out, the Dark Crystal one and the uh, the Mortal Kombat commentary that I did with Corey. Yeah, I don't think I've dropped more f bombs in any episodes. <laughs> I realized I was like, oh my god, I say fuck a lot. I forgot just. <laughs> I'm like, should I should I dial that back? I'm I'm an adult now, you know, like I. I manage people for a living. Shouldn't I? Shouldn't I be a little <laughs> bit more adult and not say "fuck" every other sentence? Well, I'll say this: I can't listen to our own podcast when my children are in the car. Yeah, 
True. And that's mainly because of me. That's my fault. <laughs> I understand this. But you know what? This is an adult podcast. It's not for kids. It's, uh, you know, yeah, we go over our nostalgic days uh, because, you know, we're adults now. So you can hear naughty words. And I'm okay with that. So fuck, fuckity, fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I did not say that word back in 1994 because I was nine and I would have gotten my ass whooped yep. if I would have done that. So, John, would you like to take us back, you know, do a little flashback in history and bring us back to 1994? So Little Giants came out on October 14th of 1994 and the Billboard Hot 100 of that week is, I swear it's a song we've talked about before, but maybe I'm thinking it's the same band, but a different song. But it's the song I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men. God, yeah, that song. That, I mean, I appreciate that song more now than I did when I was nine. I can tell you. <laughs> I can tell you that. Uh, we did talk about Boys to Men before, but we talked about Motown Philly and End of the Road. Oh, okay. okay. But yeah, I'll make love to you. Damn, that was, yeah, that was good stuff. Boys to Men is one of those ones that I didn't really listen to when we were kids, but when I got older, I went back and mm-hmm. listened to that first album, and yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they are also, all that, a lot of that New Jack sound as well, just in general yeah. from the early 90s, that stuff I appreciate much more now than I did back then, but also probably back then, you know, as we've mentioned before, like we got into like, you know, secluded right. uh, sections of music where I would refuse to try other stuff. You know, I would only listen to like either country earlier and then only grunge and rock. And so I'd be like, oh, everything else is crap. And I'm like, nah, man, everything else is good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely appreciate uh, re-listening to that stuff now. That year saw the creation of, I guess you'd call it a game that Adam and I have played a variation of for what feels like decades now. And that was... The game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> oh, it started in 94? That's fantastic. Yeah. I think it actually started with something was released. It was either a website or a book or something like that actually came out. Um, and that started that whole thing. That's right. That's right. If you don't know what that is, um, it's sort of a game of how you can connect any actor to Kevin Bacon through the idea of Six Degrees of Separation. Adam and I play a variation of the game where we just name two actors and we have to make them connect through Six Degrees of Separation. Although we do it with movies only, so you cannot use TV shows. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you're right, though. It's it's We've done that for years. Literally, we will just send a text right. that says, you know, I, I don't know, Charlton Heston to... Amelia Clark or whatever, just some ra- two completely random people. And st- right. specifically, you're trying to do people who did not work together. Right. And so you can have to kind of find the feelings like, oh, okay, Charlton Heston uh, was with so-and-so in this movie who was then with so-and-so in that movie. Uh, yeah, it's 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 fun. I, I, it's a good brain teaser. I like that. It is. I, I feel like it's a, it's a good sort of like brain workout and mm-hmm. helps keep my mind going. October of 1994, Adam, hell of a month to, to be at the movies. In the month of October, in addition to Little Giants coming out, the following movies were in theaters at that time. Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump, The Shawshank Redemption, The Lion King, and Jurassic Park. Oh, <laughs> damn. All in theaters at that point. Didn't Jurassic Park come out in like 93, and so it stayed It stayed in the theaters for a long time. Yeah, then. but that, that was back in a time when movies would stay in yeah, theaters for a did. lot longer. Yeah. I feel like they're, they're in and out within a month nowadays. Yeah, 
a couple months at most. Like, even even like the big ass blockbusters, like you're, you're you're like, oh, I didn't catch it the first like two or three weekends at the latest, and eh, might as well just wait because it'll be on Netflix in like another month anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right, moves quick, but yeah, that is that is a hell of a lineup. Yeah, like you could spend an entire weekend just at the movie theater uh, back in '94 and be very very happy. All right, and that was uh, stuff from 1994. All right, that's a fantastic year. Uh, and speaking of fantastic, I'm really excited to say that we have our very first sponsor for the Blast From Our Past podcast. And how fitting is it to be on our Super Bowl-themed episode? <laughs> we have a Super Bowl commercial for you today. <laughs> I'm happy about it. This episode is brought to you by the Sellers Law Firm. When you're facing divorce, child custody, DUI arrest, or other family or criminal matters, the Sellers Law Firm is there for you. They help families get back to what's most important to them. What's important to me when you're talking Talking about lawyers because man, lawyers get a bad rap in most movies. We talked about uh, <laughs> Jurassic Park, that guy got his ass eaten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but trust, I think, is the most important thing. And at the Sellers Law Firm, Jody Sellers is someone I know and I trust. If there are any questions that I personally would ever have, he's the guy I go to. And I've got a lot of friends who are actually lawyers or went to law school and some who listen to this podcast. And I love you, but I'm telling you, Jody's the one I'm going to first. (laughs) (laughs) Jody's been a friend of the podcast for us from the beginning. I don't know Jody that well as well as you do, but I just got to say, just following him on social media, he obviously cares about his community. I always see things that he and his law firm Mm -hmm. are doing in the community around in the area where he's at you want somebody like that in a lawyer someone who cares enough about the community to actually go out there and do something absolutely they are dedicated to helping their clients throughout the state of georgia Uh, at the sellers law firm you're not just a client you're family so give them a call at 770-415-9848 or check them out at thesellerslawfirm.com all right john let's grab that football and let's run our asses to the end zone in little giants All right, Little Giants, as you mentioned, came out in 1994. This film was directed by Dwayne Dunham, who Dwayne Dunham has some other movies from our nostalgia. Particularly, he directed Homeward Bound. Mm. He also directed Halloween Town, which is probably past your time. Yeah. It came out, I think, in like 98, 99, but it was a uh, Disney made-for-TV movie, which I sure as hell watched. <laughs> and I was probably a little old for it, but I was still very happy about it. But then he was also an additional editor. So he wasn't the main editor, but he was an additional editor on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, nice. And so, as I mentioned, so he was an additional editor. He's done some editing, and these are some pretty cool-ass post-production credits of his. He was an assistant editor on Empire Strikes Back and assistant editor on Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, wow. And he was the main editor of Return of the Jedi. Oh, wow. Pretty impressive. So, yeah, the guy's got some uh, bona fide cred. Interestingly enough, though, he actually only shot two-thirds of this movie. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. He uh, he was replaced towards the end by a guy named Brian Levant because he could not shoot the game footage fast enough. He was getting oh. so far behind in the actual game footage. They had to bring uh. someone else in to shoot that, and then he they did bring him back for the editing. Okay. <laughs> but, but apparently he just could not get his schedule together. So like the actual football side of it was yeah. not his strong suit. I guess not. Interesting. Music in this film, and the music was uh, nothing to stand out about. It's probably, I'm not going to call out any tracks or put any in into the podcast, but yeah. the music was done by John Debney, who's not a huge name, but he's got some decent credits to his name. Uh, he did music for Hocus Pocus, mm. for Spy Kids, 
for Elf, uh, Scorpion King, Sin City, which actually did have really good music. I really yeah. liked the music in Sin City. He also did the music for Passion of the Christ, which was, uh, you know, very, very powerful soundtrack. It was a good movie. Yeah. And he did tons of other credits. So he's got a, he's one of those names in music that you kind of, he's not a strong name, but, you know, you look at the credits and you're like, oh, wow. You, you have a lot of work, probably for a good reason. Yeah. Uh, and then, particular one thing that made me smile when I was looking through the credits, I saw that this uh, that the cinematography was done by uh, Janice Kaminsky, who I saw the name and I was like, whoa, what the fuck? He shot, <laughs> he shot Little Giants? So, Janice Kaminsky, one year before Little Giants. So, he's become Spielberg's, like, main DP, his okay. main cinematographer. Yeah. The year, in 1993, right before this movie... He shot Schindler's List, <laughs> which, oh. is, which is a fucking gorgeous film. Yeah. To go from Schindler's List to Little Giants <laughs> is honestly, maybe there was a needed change because you got to lighten the mood a little bit. Right. But it's uh, it's very interesting. But he also shot something like Saving Private Ryan, which right. is a you know, gorgeously shot film. Yeah. Minority Report, which I think is a, a Spielberg film that a lot of people kind of get overlooked. But that's a hell of an action movie. Mm-hmm. Ready Player One, War Horse, like pretty much anything you know, Schindler's List and on with Spielberg's name, this guy, Kaminsky, shot it. So uh, pretty interesting that, <laughs> that right, you know, tucked into that early-ish <laughs> part of his career, you get Little Giants. And I'm like, okay, well, cool. You know, you got to keep the lights on somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And early on, you know, you'll take whatever. Yep. So I get it. Uh, this film stars Rick Moranis as Coach Danny O'Shea. Ed O'Neill plays Coach Kevin O'Shea. They are brothers, and they are battling coaches, which we'll talk about. Shauna Waldron plays Becky O'Shea, a.k.a. Icebox. <laughs> and she hasn't really done too much else, but you would best know her as the daughter in American President. Yeah. That's that's the other thing that I remember her most from. Yeah, that was too, which is a great movie. It is. It's, it's a very underrated. She's yes. very cute in that film. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good romantic comedy. It really is. Yeah. And then this film also stars uh, Mary Ellen Trainer as Karen O'Shea, who is the wife of Ed O'Neill slash Kevin O'Shea. And you might recognize her, which she's, to me, she is... I don't know, a staple of like, you know, 80s moms um, and just kind of like, or just 80s, like, you know, female characters, like secondary or even tertiary characters. Right. Because she was the mother in Goonies, uh, if you've, you know, seen that. But then also she is the psychiatrist slash psychologist or whatever in all of the Lethal Weapon movies. Yeah. And that might be what I know from, from, and she's, she's funny as hell in those. And the way that Mel Gibson kind of fucks with her, it's funny. And wasn't she the pregnant lady in Die Hard? Yes, she was. Yeah. She was uh, Gail, I think is her name yeah. in Die Hard. Yeah. So she's also in Die Hard. Yeah. She, I mean, you just see her face all over the place in like those late eighties, early nineties films. Yeah. And then this film also stars Devin Sawa as Junior. And Devin Sawa is a boy who I think he was a major crush like I know so many girls around our age who just crushed super hard on Devin Sawa most people might remember him he was the human form of Casper yeah in the movie Casper who appeared in and I'm not gonna lie that boy looks cute as hell he really does he is a good looking kid I can understand why every girl in the early 90s crushed on him yeah he was also in Now and Then he was in Wild America and then things kind of like start to dip <laughs> I think with after Wild America and he was in Idle Hands which is it's a funny movie but it's not a good movie and then he was in like the first Final Destination movie and then he kind of just kind of I don't know kind of and he's still working but right. it's just not he's not the heartthrob that he was well you know that's Hollywood you get old they kick you to the curb <laughs> true 
So this film starts off with a kind of cute animation in the opening credits. Reminded me a little bit of uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yes, it did. Yeah, it wasn't as big and, you know, as like, you know, kind of grand as the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids opening title cards was. Because this was kind of just like X's and O's and they were kind of doing the, uh, you know, the, the different opening credits um, with those X's and O's on like a, a little field. Yeah. Which which was really cool. I thought, I mean, it worked It worked well. And they yeah. also didn't drag it on too much, which was nice. Do you want to know an interesting fact about that opening title card, John? Sure. So there were some interesting sounds that were made during that animated opening title card. <laughs> Do you know who made the sounds for those for that opening title card. Oh, can I take a guess? You can take a guess. Is it old Frankie Welker? It's old Frankie Welker. Yes. <laughs> Frankie, we love you. He found his way into little giants. Yes. Oh my god. So yeah, so he did the he did like the little <laughs> the little sounds just at that uh, that animation opening, which I thought was awesome. Just going through the credits, I was like, I was not expecting to find you here, sir. And yet you did. <laughs> this actually kind of brings something to my mind. Adam, I wanted to ask you, do you remember this movie from your childhood? I do, because I did watch it, but not not immensely. I watched it maybe maybe a handful, once, twice. Uh, that's about it. Like, okay. you know, it's not it's not one that I adore, something like a Mighty Ducks right. or something else, you know, which is, there's a lot of similarities, obviously, between these kind of movies, but um, it is one that I definitely saw, and I enjoyed it. Okay. I'd never seen it. Okay. This is your first this time. This is my first time. All right. Yeah, I mean, because it, I mean, 94 you were 13 14 at the time i think i just kind of missed it honestly i just yeah. think i missed it because I, I definitely do not when i watched it uh, last night i was kind of like well did i see this but i don't remember anything from it so i'm okay i don't remember seeing this at all yeah no i definitely i definitely had seen it before so okay okay all right well then i'll be very interested to kind of figure out your thoughts on the film once we get once we get to the end cool all right, so we're actually getting into the live picture, and uh, we start in the town of Urbania, Ohio, in 1964. We see this little, little kid is excited about football, and he's kind of walking to go play football with uh, someone who's obviously his older brother, and one of them's kind of like bigger and more athletic, and the other one's kind of like a shrimpy, nerdy one. At the little football game, there is a classic choosing teams scene. Two captains get to choose their team, and this little kid isn't even picked. Like, even by his brother, who is <laughs> one of the captains, he doesn't even get picked. So it's uh, that's unfortunate. And we see that the older brother is obviously good at football and that kind of thing. Uh, and we kind of cut to 30 years later. We just get a little text. And we see Ed O'Neill. He is uh, the older brother, Kevin, and he's coaching a peewee football team. Uh, we also see this girl who is... Uh, out, who's out there and it's just, these are tryouts and her nickname is Icebox. Uh, she's apparently the niece of the coach. Uh, so we kind of infer, yes, that she's the daughter of the shrimpy one at these peewee tryouts. Uh, we gotta kind of get a clear split of who are the good kids and who are the bad kids. You know, it's, it's funny. I don't know. I, I'll probably always find it funny, but like, <laughs> you know, you have like those classic kids who can't play sports for shit. You know, you always have the real tiny shrimpy ones. You have like the super nerdy ones. Right. You have the fat one. There's always a fat one right. in every one of these movies. There's always a fat one. Um, you know, and they always seem to hide food in their gear. I know. I, I feel like I know Goldberg. I'm pretty sure he hid food or he he was eating food while he was playing. And there's a kid here who has like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich uh, in his helmet. Like it's just, you know. It's a used up trope at this point. Yeah, it's definitely used up, but you know. At the same time, 
I'm fat, so I can laugh at it. How about that? <laughs> but uh, these other boys at the tryouts are making fun of Icebox. Uh, they're saying that she, you know, she kind of acts and looks like a boy. Just obviously, boys definitely think that. Even now, boys think that kind of way. Like, oh, you're just a girl. You can't play this way. And honestly, Icebox is one of the best people out there yeah. on the field. That's obvious. Did you ever play uh, sports with a girl? Did you ever have a girl on your team? I might have when I was way, way younger. I don't, I don't remember. It might have been in, like, super peewee, like, you know, I was still doing, like, t-ball kind of shit. Right. But I don't really remember one, not not in high school. I definitely did in just, like, adult adult recreational leagues. Right. In some of my adult hockey leagues, I've, I've played with females plenty, but I don't remember in, like, a peewee. Okay. Yeah. I did one year. Okay. It was one of my last years playing uh, Little League Baseball, so this would have been, like, seventh or eighth grade. We did, we had a girl on the team, and she was... Super nice. She was super cool. She was really tall, but she was a little slow as far as running goes. So I like she was one who like hit her growth spurt really early. So she was taller than everyone on the team, mm-hmm. and I think it kind of slowed her down a little bit. She wasn't by far the worst person on the team. And honestly, I remember nobody on my. I was. I have to say that considering um, you know the age, nobody on my team. I remember making a big deal of it. She was on the team. She played. She was you know just the same as everyone else, and that was it. I don't remember. Nobody made a big deal out of it at all. At least not, you know, out in public anyway. Maybe because it was baseball and, you know, baseball is a little bit more not as gendered or whatever. And football does. There's something there's something about football that just comes across more manly. I don't know, which (laughs) sounds bad, but like, you know, the male ego. There's a lot more ass slapping in football. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there is, yes. There's plenty. There's plenty in baseball too. I don't know. There's ass slapping in any sport. I've seen plenty. I've probably never slapped more asses or been touched by more asses than when I played rugby. Uh, that was definitely something. Yeah, but that that's its own weird thing. Yeah, it is. It is. And there, I didn't play against females, but we had a female team at UGA, and some of them absolutely could have kicked my ass and were much better at it than I was. Right. But I think maybe there's just there's some machismo. With football in particular, right. and that's probably especially with you know Ed O'Neill with this coach Kevin, you know. But he's he's like one of the only ones who that and the other boys who are kind of like making fun of her and thinking she can't do it. But uh, apparently Kevin was a kick-ass football player. He apparently won a couple state championships. He won the national college championship. He was an All-American, and he also won a Heisman Trophy. Right. That begs the question to me. What the hell is he doing coaching a peewee football <laughs> team and owning a car dealership? Obviously, his pro career didn't do shit. Right. If that's if that's what he's doing, he uh, he really didn't go far after his Heisman. Now, granted, winning a Heisman, Heisman is pretty freaking incredible. Right. But it does show that uh, he couldn't cut it in the pros, if I had to guess. Uh, I don't remember if it was mentioned. Did, did they say something about him, like he got injured before he, he went pro? I don't remember hearing that. If they did, it kind of went right over my head. Okay. But that's possible. But like, you know, if you want a Heisman, you get drafted. Right. You're going to get drafted at some point, And, you know, you'll probably be given a shot to play. But he obviously... I hate to say he get he gets typecast, but uh, Kevin O'Shea seemed like a slightly less dickish character than Al Bundy. <laughs> Yeah, it was, he was, I mean, at that time. Well, because Al Bundy talked all about football, which apparently that's, <sighs> yeah. Ed O'Neill, 
actually was a good football player in high school. Yeah, that's right. So I think they drew on Ed's actual life experience for that. I'm sure that he got that part in Little Giants because of the Al Bundy character and Married to Children. Yeah, no, they are. There's definitely a lot of similarities thinking about. I mean, being a car salesman, being a shoe salesman. Right. <laughs> I feel like they kind of go into hand in hand, honestly. Yes. Being like, yeah, you're living your glory days. Yeah. Now, granted, I think Coach Kevin is a little bit, you know, had probably a little bit more glory than Al Bundy did. He's a little bit more revered by the town than Al Bundy is. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's for sure. So uh, a funny, a funny little piece of uh, trivia Ed O'Neill has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and specifically, that star sits right in front of a shoe shop, <laughs> and that, that is for a reason. It's uh, like a, like a DSW or something, but it is uh, specifically <laughs> that it, it was placed there. I think I think you know for a reason on purpose. Yeah, I think that's funny, but yeah. So the coach picks the team, and Becky slash Icebox does not get picked. What a sexist asshole. Specifically, he doesn't think girls should be playing football. You know, just a douche. But uh, Danny, uh, the younger brother, a.k.a. Rick Moranis, shows up and he confronts his brother. And I, I do appreciate that most everybody, every other adult calls, or at least the main adults kind of call out Kevin for being a sexist asshole and not picking Becky, who was like the best player at the team, because because Danny just says it here. And then at the very next scene at dinner, Karen, uh, Kevin's wife, calls him out as well. It's nice to see that, you know, oh, even his wife isn't just standing by him. She's a character that you kind of like. You know, she kind of roots for the little giants and the underdogs as well. So, yeah. But I, I, I particularly appreciate that she calls out her husband and for, for being a sexist asshole because she specifically tells her daughters, you know, they've got two daughters. And she says no. And girls can run countries. They can sit on the Supreme Court. They can discover radium. But they can't play peewee football. And Kevin's just a sexist asshole. It's probably, honestly, it's probably good that he doesn't have a son in this movie. Right. Uh, maybe, it, you know, having the two daughters might be the only thing that, like, gives him that slight bit of humbleness. Because he is an interesting character. Because at times, he does seem like he's a human yes. and, like, nice guy. Yeah. Other times, he's just a machismo asshole. Right. It is a little weird because you find yourself at times, well, I, I wouldn't say empathizing. I'd just say not hating. Yeah, yeah, not hating. At times, you find yourself sometimes, most of the time, you're like, oh, what a dick. And then the other times you're like, okay, he's he's a human, he's a family man, and he does care about even he does care about his niece at times. You can yeah, tell, yeah, and even. that that does come out. Yeah. Uh, so we cut to Danny and Becky at their place, and we get some context that their mother left them. We're not really sure why. Uh, obviously, you know, this is the early '90s, so plenty of time where divorce was was all over. You have to have a a divorced family in these kind of movies. But that's really that's all we get from the mother. The mother never really returns in the storyline. We just know that she left them. Yeah, and that's that. Next. We kind of cut to this clubhouse and we see all these nerds, all the nerds who didn't get picked are, you know, they're friends and they're hanging out and they get bullied by some of the kids who made the team come and make fun of them and bully them. And we see, we see the, there's a super smart nerd who's like playing chess and uh, I, it's funny. I think they give him a wedgie and I, <laughs> I don't know why I might always laugh at wedgies. Like, that's <laughs> just, I definitely laughed when I was younger. And then in comes Icebox who has like a go-kart and she runs down 
the boys and their bikes and pretty dangerous. You probably could have broken some of their bones. Yes. Honestly, <laughs> I fell off a bike and broke my uh, broke my hand. And, and I know a lot of people. <laughs> so she could have really hurt them. But honestly, it was still pretty funny. Yeah. And I think they they deserved it. <laughs> and at this point, she's like, now, fuck those guys. We're going to start our own team. She said, oh, my dad will be the coach. So she's just kind of like wanting to get going and starting her own team. And so she's the one who really instigates this. Apparently, she must have done more than instigate this. And I'll talk about that in a second. Okay. So we see Kevin uh, is at his car dealership. Uh, and, you know, I just, I just, of course, he's a car salesman. It just it fits so well with that character, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. But he goes off to lunch and and we really see, you know, like that bit about his character of when he's, you know, see him at lunch talking to these this group of old guys. And, you know, he's just reliving his glory days, telling them about, you know, one of his old games and that kind of shit. We see the mayor comes in and there's just a little confusion. But like basically whatever, everything kind of comes to a head where... Danny also walks in and they're ultimately they they make two different teams and this is kind of a spot where we see Danny is going to stand up to his older brother and be like no fuck this I want to start a team with the outcasts that you don't think are good enough and because of league rules, if there's one town, you can only have one team. So they're going to do like, fuck it. No, we'll do a playoff. Whoever wins this single playoff game then can represent the town. Right. I think that makes sense. I think what also makes sense is both teams only really had enough players for like half a team anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> come back. But like their players were playing both sides of the damn ball. Right. Uh, which is not, not safe. That's really, you know, that'll tire you out and you're going to get hit a lot. So I'm sure some of these kids got some concussions playing that much early on right so now we kind of see some cute little recruiting montage just a little bit we see this kicker uh we see that the smart nerd who is playing chess is going to be an assistant coach and we get some others just kind of like coming in in classic underdog kids movie fashion they have complete shitty gear right even to the point where one of the kids has like this darth vader helmet (laughs) which i thought was kind of funny yeah and one thing i thought was very funny of them just not knowing what the hell the gear is uh, a kid putting a uh, a cup, a jockstrap cup to his mouth, thinking it was like a, a gas masky kind of thing or a face <laughs> protector. Uh, that was funny. I'm not going to lie. I did chuckle at that. I remember that scene from the trailer from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing the trailer as a kid and, and remembering seeing that part. It, it's, it is one of those that I think w- it would be a definitely good trailer shot. Yeah. Then in walks this mother who wants to have her super. So we saw nerdy and we saw scrawny and little, but then in comes this extra nerdy, <laughs> extra scrawny kid uh, who has like a nose bubble and shit. <laughs> it's a, he's like, just when you thought you saw the worst this town had to offer when it comes to like the nerds, you go one level deeper, you know, into into Dante's layers of of hell when it, with nerdiness. <laughs> this kid is is near the center. Yeah. Now we get a little kind of training montage, and obviously everybody is bad at everything except for Icebox uh, because she's good. And they cut to a grocery store, and they see this kid throwing toilet paper into a cart, which. It's good, close enough to a football, apparently. Uh, and it's Devin Sawa looking adorable. And Becky can definitely see just how adorable he is. And so she she starts crushing on him immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Becky and her dad go to his place to try and ask his mom if he can be quarterback. And we get like a cute little scene of apparently his mom was someone that Danny crushed on when he was younger. Uh, and so now both of them are really nervous. But... 
apparently they get him to join the team, so it's cute. And now we also have a little romantic storyline for Danny as well as Becky. Do you remember what the name of the mom was? Uh, the name of the mom was Patty. Oh, okay. Okay, so that was Susanna Thompson. Yeah, so Susanna Thompson. Uh, what else has she done? She was in the Arrowverse. She played okay. Moira, the mother, uh, the Arrow's mother. But there was, I swear there was something else I remembered her from. And I want to say it was a TV yeah. show, and I want to say it was Picket Fences. And let me double check. According to IMDb, she was on Star Trek Voyager. She was a Borg queen. Yeah. That would be tougher to see her. She had, she had half, half her face would be like, you know, robotic. Oh, no. It was uh, Dr. Quinn. She was in Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. That's what I remember her from. Okay. So, yeah, she's done some little stuff here. But, yeah, so she's our, our love interest. So Junior joins the team, and we see them practicing. You know, he's throwing balls to them. None of them can catch her shit. A funny scene that I know made the trailer that I remember is a ball getting stuck in a kid's helmet. Yeah. Then we also see that little super nerd walking up who's wrapped up in foam as crazy. You get a lot of little comedic moments from that little guy. Just right. basically the joke is how little and scrawny he is. <laughs> and that's, that's the entirety of that joke. But they play it a lot. Yeah. And at this point in the... In the team huddle, they're all kind of, you know, they're fighting. They have no idea what the hell is going on. It's kind of cute. Uh, honestly, it kind of shows, just further shows in their practice how disorganized they are. Uh, everybody, I'd say, even even the coaching and whatnot. Right. So we get just overall kind of practice montage and just kind of seeing them may, maybe getting better. Not really. They're just kind of, they're just kind of crappy early on. <laughs> Here's a scene that is almost disturbing to me <laughs> where Kevin Ed O'Neill is at home and he's trying to show some of his kids how to tackle right. by having them like tackle his wife, you know, who has like a little mattress in front of her. Right. You know, so they, you know, the little kids can't really do that, but him being wrapped up in his own fucking uh, machismo, uh, <laughs> he's showing them how to tackle. And so he is literally going to tackle his wife through a fucking window. Right. Uh, but she's smart enough that she jumps out the way. So he tackles this mattress. He jumps, it, he, you know, he throws it in himself through the window. This is a second story window. Yep. Like, how dumb is this guy? What a fucking idiot. I know. What catches me, though, is that somehow he dives head first out the window, <laughs> but yeah. lands balls first on a branch. Well, Ed O'Neill's like a cat, you know. <laughs> He's just—he'll always—he'll always land on his balls, I guess. I don't know, but uh, yeah, the physics of that scene doesn't make much sense. Okay. But if I was his wife at that point, I would seriously consider taking a look at his mental state because he almost killed her. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's time—time time for that alimony check, I think, and <laughs> cut him off. Besides that, we're seeing just some uh, some romantic tension between Danny and Junior's mom, as well as romantic tension between Icebox and Junior. At this point, Kevin apparently hears about Junior from his daughter, who has a big old crush on him, because who doesn't? It's Devin Sawa. And uh, he goes to spy on the other team with his assistant. His assistant uh, is a funny guy. I kind of like the assistant. He's a good, shitty little character. Right. Just like a little right-hand man who's just like, he's... He's nothing, but he's just kind of funny. He's a good, like, sidekicky kind of guy. Yeah. Kind of a doofus. He is a doofus. And there's a line that comes later on from him that I found <laughs> too much. Like, uh, not not good. Anyway, 
Danny plays a little prank on them and calls the cops uh, and gets them taken away. Then there's a really good quote that comes up next. Kevin is talking to his wife about peewee football. And basically his wife is like, Honey, this is peewee football, remember? This is supposed to be fun. And Kevin replies, See, all the fun is gone now. See, now it's war. It just shows the over-the-topness of Kevin, but... To me, you know, uh, I like those kind of lines that that are good trailer lines or that are, you know, the ones that stick out. Yeah. The daughter. So he's got those two daughters. Mm -hmm. The youngest one was actually played by uh, Alexa Panavega. Uh, She was the lead girl in Spy Kids. Oh, okay, cool. So she, yeah, she ended up doing some pretty good first off. Did she, did she do both Spy Kids? I guess uh, probably. Yeah, she did both. I, or maybe they have three or four of them. I those those ones are just a little bit past my time. Well, but same. they were they were big hits. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think she did both of them. Nice. Very cool. So now we get a little montage of both of the teams practicing, and honestly, it reminded me a little bit of Rocky Four, where like the Cowboys teams are like Ivan Drago, and they have the best gear, and you know they're they're training really hard and properly, and then the little giants are like Rocky and you know, they just have junky gear and they're just kind of getting it done however they can. Right. Next we had the little giants are trying to do a car wash to raise money pretty much to, to get better equipment. And here's where the, I get the disturbing fucking line from the assistant coach and the assistant coach comes up just being a dick. Yeah. You know, he's got a little convertible, just being a little asshole. And he said this line that surprised the fuck out of me. He says, Talking about those kids, he says, If I was a mama hen and they was my chicks, I'd lead them to water and let them drown. <laughs> Holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is disturbing. But, yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's played off as a joke in the movie. And, like, the kids all spray him with water afterwards and Rick Moranis does and that kind of shit. But, you know, he did, that is a, <laughs> I don't know. That's a disturbing fucking line. Yes, it, that's some Spartan level shit. And not in a good way. Yes, it is. <laughs> Not No, not in a good way. So, and still at the car wash, Kevin's wife, Karen, and her daughter, a.k.a. Icebox's cousin, comes over and get there to get their car wash. So she's supportive. Karen is supportive of, yeah. you know, the, the Giants team the entire way, which is nice. But we see the, cu- the cousin here is flirting with Junior. And uh-oh, Becky does not like that. <laughs> she's getting jealous. You know what gets me? Like, it almost seems like like the cousin is supposed... Not, I don't know if it was supposed to be this way. Like, you'd think in a movie like this, the cousin would be um, kind of a bitch to her. But yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the cousin seems oddly supportive too. No, yeah, she's not a main person at all. She just likes Junior. Yeah, and I don't, I don't dislike her for it. But yeah, I feel like yes, if it, if this was a little bit more grown up, if this was like a high school movie or something, I feel like they would have made the cousin a bitch. So that way, when she loses Junior, you feel happy that she loses Junior. Right. But like, no, I don't dislike her by any means. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't really do any. She doesn't do anything malicious or anything bad. No. Or it, it's just Kevin. Yeah. He's the only asshole in the family. Yeah, yeah, he's the only asshole in the family, yes. And then his assistant coach is an asshole who wants to drown kids, but you know, whatever. <laughs> but in the very next scene, we see Becky is kind of like trying on makeup, and so she feels, oh, Junior likes these feminine girls because his his her cousin is, you know, a cheerleader and very feminine, mm-hmm. you know, traditional feminine kind of thing. So she's like, oh, man, maybe I should not be as much of a tomboy to get junior to like me so she's just kind of they kind of setting that up in your head and the next scene is kind of a i don't know kind of a little silly scene where both coaches get this hot tip from these old guys uh about a new kid in the town and there's this whole little like subplot about these old guys who are like making it making a bet on the game yeah which you know is 
totally unnecessary, but it's just it's just an extra thing. It's kind of cute. I guess, but here's the thing. Does that whole thing with the bet come back at the end? I don't remember seeing it at all. No, we didn't see it. They, honestly, this is about the last of the, the old guys with the little, their side bet that we see. Yeah. Because then the focus after this becomes like Spike, who we're about to meet, like this new kid. It just seems like completely unnecessary. <laughs> it is. You know what? It, it, it totally is. Okay. Like they could have just gotten a random call about this new kid, but yeah, their, their bet. Yeah. We don't, we don't ever see them getting paid off or, or whoever or whatever. Yeah. It, it's a. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's an unnecessary. Maybe there was probably some edited, some deleted scenes. I guess of you know that that just felt like it was getting long. So we uh, have a whole little like racing scene of Danny in a go kart and Ed O'Neill in his you know Chevy Corvette, right. and they're racing to to get to this new kid. And 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 just because of the movie, the go kart gets there first, and uh, we meet this dad. And his son, and his son is named Spike. And the dad's a very military, you know, crew cut, yeah. you know, kind of asshole. Not all military or asshole, but like, you know, he's an asshole kind of guy. Yeah. And I do want to point out that the kid who plays Spike, uh, his name is Sam Horrigan. And I best remember Sam Horrigan as uh, Val in the movie Brink. If you ever saw the movie Brink, which you didn't, no. I did. I've brought it up before and I will, we will do this because it's probably my favorite Disney original movie of all time. And Val is like the bad guy in the Brink movie. And so I just think it's pretty good. Okay. But what's funny about Spike is Spike speaks in third person. Spike's in hell. Spike's in pee-wee hell. I thought that was pretty funny. He's, it, I don't know why. I just thought that kind of worked. You know, there's... Uh, He's, he kind of gets, so he gets recruited by Danny's team, the shitty team, the little giants. And obviously Spike is a little too good for them. And there's like, there's a whole tension between him and the team and definitely between him and Becky, which is kind of good. They they set up, you know, Spike is kind of like the main kid villain. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, he's the focus of like the kids uh, animosity and Kevin is the main adult villain. So next we have a little, an interesting scene. Uh, We have a diner scene where Becky is eating and... Her uncle Kevin comes up and they chat for a bit. Here, Becky lets him know that she likes Junior. Mm-hmm. Kevin is really kind of talking to her. He's, he's being very heartwarming and, you know, being very, I don't know, understanding and, you know, just trying to, uh, you know, let her know about like, oh, I don't know, just like liking boys and stuff like that. But at the same point, yeah, he, even though he comes across as human and caring, I kind of got the idea that he was maybe being a little manipulative, trying to lead her away from football to try and get her to to quit, to become a cheerleader, to be more feminine, to kind of get junior. So that way he would be taking away their best player. Right. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, basically. Because it's it, to me, it's the, one of the strange things, because at, at points when I watch it, I'm just like, oh, you know what? This shows that Kevin isn't a complete asshole because he does seem like he's, you know, care about becky's feelings he do, yeah he does seem like he, he i mean it, she's family if she was not family that he wouldn't feel this way but but there's a thing do you do did you think he was deep down being manipulative and trying to steer her away from football so he could more easily win the game or do you think he was just being honest uh honestly i think a little of both okay <laughs> i think a little of both mostly i think he was just trying to be manipulative okay so you do yeah so you think that was there i think he's trying to be manipulative but i think he was trying to not hurt his niece in the process okay i think so too the next day at practice uh spike's dad pulls him from the team and pulls takes him to the cowboys because you know that's the key team he wanted him to play for right uh, with the Heisman Trophy winner. 
and at this point, all of the kids are now squabbling, and it's, you know, the, the little giants are kind of hitting their low point in morale. They've got to somehow get their morale back. And do you know what just happens to ha- to happen at this very moment? A bus with some fantastic football players and, you know, an all-time great coach stops and gives them the exact morale they need. It's just, wow, what fantastic timing, John. I don't believe it. I know. The only thing that is kind of semi-realistic about it is that John Madden does or did travel around in a bus because he hated flying. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that John Madden would have passed through the town on a bus. Whether or not Emmett Smith and the other guys were with him, yeah. I don't know about that. Uh, so, which speaking of, which is this is a funny scene. Cute, you know these these legit players are kind of doing a whole little training montage to help get the teams up. Which uh, so those players, as you mentioned, so it was John Madden was was there with uh, Emmett Smith. Um, and then also some other players who, honestly, I just don't know them all that very well. There's Tim Brown, Bruce Smith, and Steve Emptman. I don't really know those guys, but uh, they all they all help give the kids the morale that they need to get back into the game. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a little scene where Junior and uh, Becky are hanging out at a pond, and they're talking about kissing. And so you're like, oh my god, is this going to happen? Are they going to are they going to start making out right now? <laughs> Uh, but it's just kind of it's it's kind of cute. You get some of these uh, some really good lines here. What they really don't understand about kissing, because Becky says, "Hey, we're gonna have to learn how to do it sooner or later. I mean, you know, if you want to have kids and get a job and stuff." <laughs> and Junior replies, "You can have kids without kissing." And Becky then replies, "Yeah, but you can't get a job." And I'm just like, "Holy <laughs> shit! Someone someone taught her something wrong uh, if yeah. she thinks you have to learn how to kiss if you want to get a job." It was funny. We, my wife and I watched this kind of late last night. We had some friends over for a board game, and I remember we're, I'm just kind of laying in bed, and I'm I'm just trying to get through the movie because it was late. And I got to that scene, and both of us sat up and looked at each other, like, "What the <laughs> fuck did she just yeah. say?" Well, I think what's even funnier is Junior right after that then responds with, "Well, I'll become a teacher," which implies you don't have to learn kissing because it's not a real job. <laughs> And both you and your wife are teachers. And so I'm just like, oh, shit. Did they pick up on that? Did they realize that basically these kids think that being a teacher is not a real job? I didn't pick up on that, but I was still weirded out by the sentence to begin with. Yeah, fair enough. Sometimes I feel like people don't think that teaching is a real job. I'll just say that. (laughs) Yeah, true. And definitely students and kids may not think that. They probably don't. Yeah, they don't. So, uh, so yeah. But Becky is coming on strong, and she wants to. She wants to get that kiss, uh, and she kind of like flat out, you know, says, "Would you like me more if I was a cheerleader type?" And he says, "Maybe." You know, he's not sure. You know, but you know, he kind of throws out, "Oh, hey, you're cool as you are," but it's really kind of implying, "I like you as a friend." And I only like you as a friend, that kind of thing, you know, and I only will, or at least like, you know, in his head, but he's confused. He doesn't know what he wants either. No, he's a young teen or whatever. They don't know what the hell they want. Pre-teen kind of thing. Yeah. So right here, she kind of goes to see her aunt, you know, quick little scene, but really what it insinuates is, you know, that she, you know, needs to, to talk to a female adult about, you know, to learn quote unquote, how to be more feminine, um, to kind of get that, get that, at least that female voice that she's missing because her mother left. Mm -hmm. And then we get a, uh, I think it's a pretty damn cute scene of the rest of the little giants are kind of prepping the night before the big game. And specifically the one thing I think that is the funniest is that super little scrawny kid, like doing muscle poses in front of the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's cute. Not going to lie. That's cute. So here we are at game day. 
and the game's about to start, and we get uh, an announcer, <laughs> which I love. Like, uh, our, our announcer for this game is Harry Shearer. Yep. Well, hello again, everybody. This is Cliff Carson, your play-by-play announcer. It is my pleasure to bring you the game today, and what a day it is. We're here at Kevin O'Shea Stadium, located in Pastoral, Urbania, Ohio, the scene of what's become known as the Mania in Urbania. Holy crap. He, I mean, he's an announcer. In, he was announce, uh, a baseball announcer in... Um, or he wasn't, maybe wasn't the baseball announcer, but he was uh, like the, the newspaper kind of like announcer guy in League of Their Own. Yeah. And, he, and he's just like, I feel like he's a, a like an announcer in so many things. Like yeah. that's kind of his, one of his shticks. Oh, he's got a good voice for it and he's good at it. Yeah, he is. Um, as the teams are kind of going into the locker rooms, we see Becky comes in with a cheerleading outfit and she has quit the football team to be a cheerleader. Her hormones are taking her all over the place. She's got a little confused right now, and so she's going to be a cheerleader. So, but man, you know, I hope by the end of this movie, maybe, maybe she can rethink that. I'm just hoping. You know, it's funny. What kind of caught me actually is she comes in, and everyone else looks shocked, but Rick Moranis kind of gives her like a knowing look. Yeah. Well, so there was a, a little scene before that where, which I, I just kind of skipped over, where her and um, where Becky and her dad kind of fight about it, about her being girly, mm-hmm. and you know. Basically, he's like, "All right, well, whatever you want." And then you you actually see her very in a very quick little little shot. He drops a cheerleading uniform while she's sleeping. Oh, okay. Kind of in the in the montage while of everyone what they're doing the night before. You get the little scrawny kid as he's posing. You get other people doing stuff. There is a shot of Rick Moranis dropping off a cheerleader outfit for her. To me, it's showing that okay, you know what? He's gonna accept her for whatever she is, and if she wants to be a cheerleader, he'll support that. Yeah. He knew what was coming, um, and so he's not he's not upset about it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, right now morale on the team is shot for shit. They don't have you know one of their best players, definitely their best tackler in Icebox. But uh, Danny tries to pump them up by showing them new uniforms, and we get a funny line that I like from the really the really kind of scrawny kid who says that Danny mentions the oh these uniforms have your name on them. And he replies, So the guys at the morgue can identify the bodies. <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's some decent little lines in this film. Yeah, it was funny. So the teams go out to the game, and it's funny. The the Giants can't even break through their damn paper banner, which I, <laughs> I did think was funny. That's cute. <laughs> I do want to call out, you know, you get like those little huddles where your team is going to like you know, amp yourself up and say a little chant. And we get the two different teams ones. Uh, the Cowboys are... Cowboys! Cowboys! Win! 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 That's cool. The Giants put their hands in together and do... Giants! Giants! Help us, God! <laughs> I, I, did, I did like that. Probably, probably some little stuff that I don't think I picked up on just how many different little lines there were in this film that were humorous. Uh, that I'm definitely getting now. And uh, here we are at kickoff. I definitely laughed my ass off even <laughs> now as a 33-year-old where the kicker missed the ball completely and he hit the other kid square in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and nut shots are hilarious. <laughs> and this one even kind of comes back. There's even payoff with this one because yes. later on in the game, he has to kick an extra point and you see the kid who got his... <laughs> He got his nuts kicked. Who's was just like, oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, please. Like, he's just, you know. And it's funny. It is funny. Like, they do a pretty good job of setup and payoff or, or bringing things back multiple times in this film. It's not, everything's not just a single one-off joke. Right. I think there were some things that, that so pretty decent writing in this film. But, all right, I'm kind of going to move through the game quick enough. But, you know, the first half, the Cowboys get their asses kicked. 
they absolutely yeah. get destroyed. One thing I do want to point out that I do not appreciate, the wide receiver who can't catch the ball, at one point he puts this glue on his hands. Right. And, you know, it's, it comes off all comically. Right. Because he sticks it on his hands and he can't end up catching the ball. I do not like that because I am very anti-cheating. And so, like, I want these kids to win from their own volition and not by putting fucking glue or pine tar or whatever on their hands right. to cheat with that. I do not approve of that. I do not. <laughs> and this has been the Sports Ethics Podcast with Adam Sager. Yes, this <laughs> Exactly. I think bending the rules in a game, you know, to like if, if you have a rule that, you know, you use to your advantage, that's one thing. Right. But like flat out, flat out cheating is bullshit. Yeah. So. All right. Moving on. So there it's at it's halftime and they're in the locker room. They're getting their their butts kicked 21 to nothing, which honestly, if this was real peewee and the team's you know, were that differentiated in their quality, it would not just be 21 to nothing. It would be like 40, 50 something to nothing, even at halftime. Right. So I feel like they were able to keep that score pretty low. I'm <laughs> not going to lie. Yeah. But uh, there's this whole motivational speech that Danny tells the kids, you know, it's really about, he kind of goes over like, you know, this, this one time that when they were younger, he actually beat Kevin at something. You know, Kevin, who's so great at everything, he won a goddamn Heisman Trophy. Right. Danny beat them this one time in a bike race. And then they all kind of go around talking about this one time that they won something. And really, you know, it's just like, you know what? This game, this could be that one time. And they all come out really super pumped. Yeah. And so they're all super motivated at, at this other game, at, at the other, at the second half of the game. Uh, one thing that I do want to mention that bothered the hell out of me, Kevin, Ed O'Neill's character, he chews gum the entire <laughs> fucking movie. <laughs> Like pretty much, and, and it's just super chewy, and I hate it. I hate chewing noises. I hate them. I hate them. It hurt me, John, having to <laughs> listen to that so much. I was just like, ugh, god damn it. I didn't notice. Boy, did it bother me. Um, I think I think it came about when I was editing and specifically editing tutorial videos for like um, arts and crafts videos for a long time, uh -huh. and I had to edit, you know, with with headphones on. You know, these these people who are talking about whatever, but like you hear you hear so many throat noises, so much chewing, so much like weird noises, especially because, you know, especially the episodes of those of the shows that we shot after lunch, <laughs> like the lady, you get like gurgling sounds in their throats or swallows, all the swallows. I think that scarred me. Honestly, I think that scarred me to where I hate chewing and I feel bad because for my wife, I freak out. <laughs> If it's super quiet, if it's super quiet in the house uh -huh. and we're just eating and there's no noise, like I have to have music or TV or if we're at a restaurant, you know, there's other noises going right. around or if we're at a, you know, at a big dinner, there's people talking and stuff like that. But if there's dead silence, all I do is focus on my wife's chewing <laughs> and I just, I go insane and I'm just like, we have to put on music. We have to fucking put on TV or something. I cannot stand this. <laughs> It freaks me out. So yeah, the gum chewing, <laughs> I didn't care for. Understandable. Anyway, with all that motivation, they run a play and they gain a yard. And everybody's like excited. Like, oh my God, we actually gained a yard this time. It's funny. But then, you know, right after that, then they get better and better. Then they end up scoring a touchdown. And then now we've got a game. At this point, that military asshole dad, he tells his son to take out Junior. You know, their quarterback who is any good, mm -hmm. which Spike does with a complete cheap shot. Yep. You know, a super late tackle. And I will say to his credit, Kevin goes and talks to Spike's dad and tells him, you know, if 
if you do that kind of shit again, you're out of here. Uh, and so he is a respectable guy. He doesn't he doesn't appreciate those kind of shitty tactics. Yeah. I can give him credit for that. He wants to win, but he wants to win correctly. Yeah. But that cheap shot, John, you do not hurt Devin Sawa. Oh, no. <laughs> because that's the catalyst that Becky needs to join the game. And she, is, she doesn't even change out of her... Uh, cheerleading skirt nope. and she puts on her football uniform and the helmet and pads and she gets out there and we actually get another funny line which again to his credit like at this point i kind of i'm liking some things with coach kevin he's not a complete asshole all the time right when she comes into the game uh, his assistant coach says what the hell is that cheerleader doing with a helmet and kevin says that's no cheerleader that's my niece becky she's pissed <laughs> it's just <laughs> And it's just funny. And it, and it, but he understands it because he talked to her about Junior. Yeah. You know, he knows that she likes him. You know, he knows how tough she is. And he knows she's coming out for <laughs> vengeance. <laughs> and honestly, she ends up, she wrecks Spike pretty good. He causes a fumble. Uh, so the Giants get the ball back. You know, they just scored. Now they get the ball back as they're trying to get their next touchdown. Uh, in, a, in perfect kid movie fashion, we have a fart joke. <laughs> Uh, you know, the fat kid turns around and farts at the other kids. And so they all disperse, the defense disperses and they run, they give the ball to this one specific kid whose dad is always out of town. Uh He sees that his dad has just come back in and he misses his dad so much. And he's like near the end zone. And so he's running, dodging all these kids just to go see his dad. And cause he misses him so much. Cause he's always gone for business. It's a little bit heartwarming. Yeah. Um, I wish it didn't start with a fart joke. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) I wish you didn't have to have the the fat kid fart in front of everybody to, to disperse them, but whatever. That's a cute little heartwarming enough scene to, to see the kid with his dad. Yeah. And apparently they kind of just roll over this next defensive stand pretty quickly, but apparently they get the ball back uh, and there's this whole wide receiver, the the kid who can't catch a ball the entire time, but he can catch toilet paper, ends up envisioning the ball is toilet paper. He catches and now the game is all tied up. Exciting. And the Cowboys now are kind of charging down the field and we think they're going to get a winning touchdown. Um, And so they're going to, you know, give the ball to Spike and nobody can seem to stop him. Um, But basically the defense stops him. They do. They do end up stopping Spike, uh, and they get the ball back on their four yard line or some shit like that. Right. Which they obviously had a decent kicker because they made all of their extra points. Because Spike didn't give it up on a fumble. Right. They, it was a fourth. It was a fourth down turnover. Why would Ed O'Neill go for the touchdown here as opposed to the guaranteed win? Just kick the field goal, and then you're up. By points with only four seconds left and you got to do a kickoff like you're gonna win the game pretty much like that's like a 99 percent right. why would he keep giving the ball to spike i don't get that that's bad coaching they don't go over it at all like literally like that's not discussed <laughs> but knowing football that pissed me off because because it's a movie and they needed some way to get it back to the i don't know well john i'm just saying uh all right well anyway the kids have one last play that they can run, and there's this been this whole specific play that they've been talking about, where they've been hinting at throughout the movie called the annexation of Puerto Rico, which I thought is a cute enough name. Basically, it's just a it's a fumble ruski, you know. Yeah. That's kind of what what the play is more traditionally called. So they run this, and they have to do a lot of tosses, reverse lateral, or you know, reverse laterals right. to uh, different players, and then they they make it the super super skinny scrawny kid, the nerdiest of the nerds ends up running it in and they win. And I thought it was really, really interesting. They held the Cowboys to a scoreless second half. It ends up being like <laughs> yeah. twenty seven to twenty one. Right. They didn't they didn't let the Cowboys score at all the second half. Like that's 
Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. So wrapping up the film, I mean, the the dad ends up getting a date with the girl he likes. Everybody's getting along now. Danny and Kevin are kind of talking about how they want the joins the teams to join together and be one team, which honestly, as I mentioned before, makes a lot of sense because right. both teams did not have nearly enough players. They should, they should have just <laughs> had everybody play. And the movie ends with this uh, Urbania water tower, kind of, which is a, a shot that we kind of opened up on which eventually would say you know home of kevin o'shea now says home of the o'shea brothers which is a callback to a line from earlier in the film which honestly just shows decent writing right you know a line that's way earlier does end up coming back so i do like that um, when it comes to actual film writing so uh, how about you go and tell us first since you had never seen this film what is your overall opinion of little giants honestly i went in expecting to not really like it just kind of sit through it but i thought it was actually pretty cute um i don't think it's a movie i'm gonna ever go back and watch myself because i have no real nostalgic tie to it i don't know i might show it to my son when he's a little bit older maybe i don't think he'd get much out of it right now you know what there was some it made me laugh a surprising number of times there was some pretty good writing and some good jokes in there where i enjoyed it i have no nostalgic love for it there wasn't anything that just stuck out as making it a great movie, but it made me laugh enough times that I would say that it was an enjoyable experience. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I mean, I do have some nostalgic value for this film, and uh, I do think it's cute, and I honestly still think it's pretty cute. Um, it's not, it's not one that I love the most. Like when it comes to kids' sports movies, probably Mighty Ducks is my number one. Right. Uh, and this movie is very similar. You know, it's very Bad News Bears. It's very Mighty Ducks, um, but it's got a good storyline of inclusion of allowing anybody to play the sport uh the good underdog storyline um you know we've seen these type of films you know in plenty of different fashions like the others that i mentioned but it works and it works for a reason mm -hmm. so i did enjoy rewatching it um yeah it's not one that i'm gonna probably am gonna hold up as like you know a fucking classic and amazing film but it's a cute one and it's one that is uh worth Maybe revisiting once, if you really hadn't seen this one in a long time, maybe rewatch it once, but you don't need to see it really more than that, just to kind of remind yourself, oh man, there are some damn cute lines in this film. It, it yep. does work. And if, if there is, if you have a sports-oriented child, this is one to kind of put in a rotation for them. I would, I would definitely say so. Yeah, I agree. And now we're going to talk Double Dare. This is the Nickelodeon game show that originally ran from 1986 to 1993. There was a revival with a different host in 2000. And then there was also another revival in 2018 with another host. Uh, but Mark Summers is a part of that. So this original run, and it's kind of, I don't know, it's gone through a couple different iterations, even in this original run from 86 to 93. Uh, this was hosted by Mark Summers. And so they had the original Double Dare, and then they apparently had something called Super Sloppy Double, ba Double Dare, and they also had something called Family Double Dare. All of that was within this span of 86 to 93, kind of intermediately throughout there. Mm -hmm. The show premiered on Nickelodeon in October of 86, and this was Nickelodeon's very first game show. Nickelodeon also kind of came out with a bunch of other game shows down the line, yeah. things that maybe we'll talk about, like uh, Figure It Out. I liked that one a lot. I think this was also the first thing that Nickelodeon produced in-house. Oh, very possible, because, I mean, this was definitely at, like, Nickelodeon Studios. Like, you know, this, this really 
kind of, I don't know, yeah, I feel when I think of like Nickelodeon and Nickelodeon Studios Orlando, Double Dare and like that kind of set is definitely something that comes to my mind. Well, I mean, when you think of, and also like if you think of something Nickelodeon, you might think of, you can't do that on television, but that was not produced by Nickelodeon. It oh, was yeah. produced was a, a Canadian. It, yeah, it was a Canadian show that was produced and then Nickelodeon bought the rights and was using it. Yes, correct. So yeah, this is this is probably one of their early things that were, yeah. That they were was. actually doing themselves. Mm-hmm. So apparently, immediate, almost immediately after its debut, Double Dare really became a hit, and it more than tripled viewership for Nickelodeon's afternoon lineup. And it became, you know, one of the most watched original daily programming on cable TV. I remember watching the hell out of this show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, this was a show that I feel like every kid wanted to be on. Oh, yeah. And Mark Summers, so Mark Summers was the host. He was, I think, he was a fantastic host. <laughs> I liked him a lot. Yeah. He was good. Like, he just, I don't know. Apparently he got picked because he was also a magician. Oh, really? And he, so he knew how to talk to kids and talk to adults. Oh, At okay. a high level because he, he had done sort of that performing. Famously, Mark Summers has OCD. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. So kind of the same thing as, um, oh, what's that comedian's name? Uh, Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel. He has kind of the same, similar thing. So he has like a, he lives super clean. Mm-hmm. So kind of, mm-hmm. I, I mean, they'd call it germaphobe, but he's really sort of just obsessive compulsive when it comes to that. Okay. He's good. He's a good host in general because he also had uh, a food show that la- it was, you know, sometime after the 2000s. Do you remember what it was called? It was something about Unwrapped. Unwrapped. Yes. Where he kind of went into that. Okay. Because he would go into like how food is made, um, stuff like that. But that was really, really good show. That show I have the most disgust for and respect for at the same time. <laughs> Okay. Because it's, as someone who loves food, and I I went to culinary school and and loves that, Unwrapped just seems like the most basic level dumb shit production for food. (laughs) But at the same time, first of all, it was Mark Summers. He made a fortune on that show uh, because it was his production company. It was mostly stock footage of these places <laughs> that he paid. They paid very little money for, and it was the, mm-hmm. it was Food Network's most popular show throughout the 2000s. Was it really? They made bank on that show. Wow, good for Mark Summers. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, you, you gotta I respect him for being able to take something and know his audience and be like. I can sell this. And he sure as hell sold it. I didn't really watch it that much because I really wanted to learn how to cook. And I really didn't give a shit how Laffy Taffy was made. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Important, important question about Laffy Taffy. (laughs) All right. Very important question. Okay. People are on two sides of the fence when it comes to banana Laffy Taffy. Uh Banana Laffy Taffy is either the greatest flavor of all time or it's the most disgusting flavor of all time what is your decision what side of the fence are you with banana laffy taffy okay it is my least favorite flavor of laffy taffy but i would never turn away from it i wouldn't like push it away and be like oh i'm not gonna eat that that's disgusting (laughs) i love banana but banana flavor candy never feels like authentically banana to me it feels (sighs) artificial yeah and i it's not that and it's not that i hate it i'll eat it and I won't complain about it. If I had to rank them in order of uh, which ones I preferred, it would probably go at the bottom. See, I'm the exact opposite. Okay. I Whatever it is, that fake banana flavor <laughs> is the greatest flavor in all of candy. Like, I will destroy me some banana Laffy Taffy, and then I'll leave the others, you know, for picking if I need it. Banana Laffy Taffy is the best. Same, same, same kind of thing with uh, runts. I will eat the banana runts. They are the best and then everything else is crap. I do like the banana runs. Okay. 
All right. Yeah. I just the yeah for the banana flavored stuff, and for me the laffy taffy. And I and I've been at work where they've had like just a bunch of laffy taffies, and like this this debate always comes up, and I'm just like. Fuck yeah, banana's the best, and inevitably someone always says like, "Oh, this is disgusting. They're the worst," <laughs> and I'm ready to I'm ready to punch him out, John. <laughs> I'm pretty heated with my banana laffy taffies. So, well, that just means more banana laffy taffy for you. Yeah, uh, I am more than happy with that. So, uh, all right, well, back back to this reel it back over to <laughs> Double Dare. This show, so it often it's it pretty much they usually started off with like a very quick mini game uh it'd just be like immediately just like those these quick little like i don't know physical challengey kind of mini games that were very similar to like i don't know if you ever saw that show minute to win it with uh guy douchebag fieri uh, <laughs> that kind of thing but like just those kind of quick little side games and that would kind of determine who had control of the board and basically the show would have consist of a bunch of different questions where you could get either you know points or dollar amounts um, if you knew the answer, you would answer it. But if not, or you know, or if you wanted to kind of like test the other uh, the other group, you would then say dare. Mm-hmm. And then if that if that team knew it, they would answer it. Or what they could do is they could double dare you back, and it would go back to the original person who or the original team who had that question, and they would make the decision if they wanted to answer it or if they wanted to take a physical challenge. And they almost always did the physical challenge, or else they wouldn't have done the original dare. Right. So, and the physical challenges were just tons of little like mini games, little things that you know um, always looked fun. They always yeah. looked like something. Honestly, they also looked easy as shit. Yeah. Like rewatching it now as an adult, I'm just like, fuck, those are simple. <laughs> like always go with the physical challenge because those look those are easy as hell. They kind of look like things you do with an eighth grade science class. <laughs> yeah, very much so. As the show uh, went on. They ended up getting messier and messier. So I watched I watched uh, some from like the first season, mm-hmm. and the first season is is when they had like two it was two kids per side, right? Usually like a boy and a girl, right? Um, and then they ended up kind of going into family double dare, which is uh, ended up being four people per side, and it was kind of like you know you had an entire family, you had your mom, dad, uh, and then like two kids, right? But as the show like you know went on and on, the first physical challenges were usually pretty simple and nothing crazy then they got sloppier and messier and they always had something to do with gack or slime or <laughs> yeah. whatever and you know you'd have to you'd have to drench somebody in in the gack or whatever right that was just a whole thing uh which always just looked fun man i just wanted to get you know getting getting doused in nickelodeon gack was something that i definitely wanted to have happen to me and it never did yeah. and it's one of my big regrets in life i know what i'm going to do for your 40th birthday party <laughs> <laughs> oh my god if we do if we do like a double dare for my 40th birthday party uh, or even just that or just some nostalgia based throwing slime on me i'm probably okay with that okay all right i'll start making plans now <laughs> perfect uh but yeah so i mean you had you know your different teams and it was it was fun it was something this was not a show where there was depth you know this is this was just a straight up game show right there was some trivia aspects to it there were some physical challenge aspects to it uh, i do want to call out one of the episodes that i watched which i thought this was fucking funny um so the question that mark summers had was cow college is an informal way to describe what place is it an agricultural school is it elsie the cow's alma mater or is it a camp for losing weight <laughs> and i'm just like oh shit Wow, he called out fat kids, and I just, <laughs> I thought it was funny. Uh, the show basically consisted of two rounds uh, of doing, like, the questions or physical challenges, and then whoever had the most points or dollars at the end of 
the second round would go on to the obstacle course. And the obstacle course was like the thing yep. that everybody wanted to do. That was that was the messiest thing. That was like it seemed like, you know, I don't know, it's not not quite like the aggro crag from Guts or that or even like the the temple from Legend of the Hidden Temple. But this is this is what started that. Yeah. This is that in, in my this is kind of what led up to those big grandeur things was this obstacle course, which was, you know, very still or kind of similar to American Gladiators final obstacle course. Right. But like this one was definitely four kids and messier. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, each different obstacle was kind of like in slightly increasingly difficult somewhat, but like after each obstacle you would get a prize. And so before they ran the obstacle course, they would kind of go over, you're going to jump through the teeth and search through the ball pit and grab the flag. And when, and if you do that, you're going to get this. And like for each and every single one of them, you'd get like an increasingly good prize. Most of the early prizes were like, Oh, a shitty board game. And then maybe a calculator. Mm -hmm. And then you'd kind of get a little bit more than maybe like a bed. And then you, and then it would ultimately come down to like, Oh, here's a trip to Disney. Or maybe here's a, a car, even like a family car for the later family double dare stuff. Yeah. It was fun. It was cute. Like there were some classic obstacles from me. There were like the, the ball pit ones where you had to kind of swim through the ball pit and get to the flag. Right. You always had to like grab a flag and then pass it off to your partner. Uh, that was the whole like passing off each one. Right. But like some of the obstacles, particularly there was a one where you had to kind of like go through these teeth and then slide down a little slide. But probably the biggest one for me that I remember the most was the nose. Yep. You had to pick this nose with this green, you know, slime in it to pull out the flag and pass it on to your partner. That's the one that I remember the most hands down. Yeah. I only really watched one episode for this because after that I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. I don't need to see it again. There's no storyline. You know, there's yeah. no growth with the show. <laughs> but uh, I, as soon as I got to, I remember the two things I remembered also was the, the teeth, the mouth, the big mouth you have to slide through and the nose. Those were the two things that I remember the most. Yeah, I don't know why, but yeah, those, those, those are definitely the ones that um, stick out the most. Yeah. Uh, besides that, it had a theme song, which actually I very much enjoyed the theme song. It was a very simple instrumental theme song, but it was it was pretty fun. <laughs> Even now watching it, I still can't really remember it. Very late 80s, just kind of very simple game show one. But it, it, right. to me, I, I once I hear it, I like it. But it's not one that, you know, it's not going to go down as one of the all-time best theme songs for sure. I read this and I forgot to, to mention this earlier. Uh, do you know who was a finalist for the host but didn't, uh, but actually pulled his name out because he got another gig? Was uh, Dana Carvey. Oh, really? Yeah, he pulled his name <laughs> out because he got hired at SNL. And SNL, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad he took that SNL job because he's one of my favorite SNL cast members of all time yes i agree although i could totally see him being a host on that show and would have done well yeah it would not have been the same as mark summers but he would have done well well he would have added so many different like impressions or like little yeah. comedy things and he would have done a fantastic job i yeah absolutely huh that's kind of cool all right. Well, I mean, I don't have too much else to say about Double Dare because as, as we've already brought up, I only really needed to watch a few episodes. It is a fun show. Um, I haven't really watched the reboot uh, with Liza Koshy that's going on right now. It's not a show I'm going to really rewatch ever again because it's it's a silly, simple game show. Agreed. You know, something like 
like I remember with Guts, there's not enough like adult action in there for me to warrant me wanting to watch. Now, something like Legends of the Hidden Temple, I actually have rewatched a good <laughs> bit of that show. I've watched some of it and put them on and like, you know, in my work break room and stuff like that, just because I don't know, there's something about that final temple that I really love. But this show, you know, fit perfect for its time. I loved it, adored it as a kid. You know, I still wish I could have gone on that show. Um, and I wish that was an experience I could have had, but it's not one that I'm going to try and relive that by watching now. Yeah, I pretty much have the exact same reaction. Um, I have a huge nostalgic love for it. It was fun to go back and, and kind of revisit it. But as an adult, I don't really get anything out of it. So I'll probably never go back and rewatch it. I also have not watched the new one. And I don't think my kids have watched it either. So although my son is starting to get into uh game shows a little bit mostly because my dad is always watching things like family feud oh yeah (laughs) and so now my son has actually kind of gotten into it oh and jeopardy is who will watch which i love watching jeopardy anyway so i I will watch jeopardy on my own but my dad watches it quite a bit and my son will see that now he's sort of gotten into that sort of thing so maybe i don't know maybe we have a little uh uh, maybe a little trivia person yeah in the making oh good be fun that would be awesome. Yes, let's let's get him watching some of this stuff. I bet he would he would probably love old school Double Dare. Yeah, I could try. I'll try it out on him. All right, that's our very basic review <laughs> of uh, Double Dare, where we talked half the time about unwraps. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by Nike. Bo knows baseball. Bo knows football. Bo knows basketball, too. Bo knows tennis? Right, and now it's time to do the casting portion of the show, or in this case, the drafting portion of the show. <laughs> uh, similar to our, our first sort of baseball fantasy draft episode, we're going to do a fantasy football team since this is going to fall on Super Bowl Sunday, and we're going to do this featuring real players, so these aren't fantasy players. Honestly, not too many, uh, well, I mean, there are a lot of football movies. There wasn't a lot from our childhood, Yeah, which is why I think I put Little Giants on the schedule here, because as far as I know, that's really the only one that I could think of. There have been plenty of football movies, but mostly for adults. Yeah, I mean, I agree. There was definitely more adult football movies, like uh, Hoosiers. Or is that basketball? <laughs> That's basketball. Fuck. Um, Rudy. How about you go? Rudy. Rudy, uh, the, the longest yeah. yard that, any given Sunday. Yes. Yeah, but even those um, the replacements. were definitely more older, especially any given Sunday was definitely more <laughs> older for, for adults. Right. Uh, speaking of uh, Elizabeth Berkeley in that movie, oh, looks good. Um, <laughs> But 
for football, I don't know, there really wasn't much. There was a lot more baseball movies when we were younger. Like, yeah. That was the time where kids loved baseball. Well, and <laughs> there's I, a lot less yeah. players on a baseball team, so it's a lot easier to make it about yeah. someone. You don't have like yeah, true. 30 players. So similar to that, this is going to be a draft of kind of our favorite players or what we think are the ultimate players uh, from, I guess, from real life. Uh, we're not going to do a whole team because that's like – 20 something people 25 people it's well it's uh you you have a 11 per side so like if you were doing that yeah but you have even more than that but then special teams and kickers and punters and that yeah yeah yeah. so uh so we're just gonna kind of we're kind of limited to about what you would pick for an actual fantasy football draft so we're gonna do one quarterback two running backs two wide receivers a tight end two defensive players and a coach just because why not it'll be fun yeah before we get started we're going to talk about um, our relationship with football. And I'll be honest, I didn't really get into watching the game of football until I was in college. I'm the exact same way. I spent all four years in high school being in the marching band and didn't once really watch the game because I didn't care. <laughs> it was not a game I cared about. It wasn't a game I played. In fact, I was told not to play it uh, <laughs> by our father. He played football, but he did not like that experience. Yeah. Uh, he was my Our dad was more of a, a wrestler. Like, that was his thing. But neither of us wrestled, which is the funny thing. Because I, I, he definitely loved his time wrestling yeah. and would tell us about it. But, like, neither of us got into that, which... Which, is, which I thought was kind of strange. No, and I, I don't think, I don't I mean, I don't think that he cared. I mean, both of us played sports no, no, to no, a no, degree. No. We played baseball and did stuff. I think he hated football more than he cared about us doing wrestling or something like that. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so I, I didn't really pay attention, but when I got to college, I was also in the marching band there, and it was just a different experience than it was in high school. Plus, marching band in high school for us um, was competitive. So we got a lot out of the marching band other than the, fo- the football game game was honestly something that we did in between practice and the competitions other than that we didn't give a shit about it also i think you know so we went to different high schools but both of our high school football teams were pretty crappy (laughs) neither of them were really now and then we both went to uh, the university of georgia and that football team was not crappy yeah that was good and so it was it was definitely easier also it's a lot more part of the culture in college to go watch the games and to be surrounded by that yeah. So it's it's honestly hard to not be a part of the football culture at Georgia. Yeah. So that I agree. I, I have very similar experience. I was in my, uh, marching band and I didn't give a fuck about the football games. Right. And then once I got to college, that's when I started playing like fantasy football and I got interested in football period. And especially being in the marching band at college where you have to go to all the home mm. games and oh, a yeah. good number of the away games, you just get sucked into the culture. And that's where, honestly, that's really when I learned the rules of the game and how to play the game. Yeah. I guess the first real, I don't really love for football, but honestly, the first thing that taught me the rules of football was the game Tecmo Super Bowl. Oh, yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because <laughs> that was actually probably the biggest part of football that we had in in our entire like you know youth when we right. were before college was Tecmo Super Bowl that game and I'm not going to lie that game is going to kind of influence my list <laughs> <laughs> okay I have I have an idea at least on one of your choices then <laughs> but yeah that game is uh is fucking killer all right so let's go ahead and start with our coach I'll go ahead and start us off. Honestly, the coaches was the one thing I really never really got attached to. I really didn't mm-hmm. pay attention to really who was coaching what or what they did. Um, not as much as they did with baseball, per se. But you know what? If I'm going to have a coach, 
I want to have a fun coach, and I really like this guy. I I, I like listening to his, his stories. He kind of became maybe a meme is a good word of playing mm, it. Mm-hmm. Kind of became a meme when Saturday Night Live started doing a skit about his team. Uh-huh. And uh, my coach for my team is going to be uh, good old Mike Ditka. Ah, uh, Ditka. <laughs> <laughs> from the bears yeah da bears uh that's a good damn call i i definitely thought about him and i will say i almost also went with uh, don shula who is a legendary coach who has the most career wins of all time yeah i then also thought about tony dungy uh who was a uh, the coach for peyton manning but he, there's something about tony dungy that i really i do like uh he seems, seems like a stand-up guy and then i thought about it and I went straight back to the Bears, and I chose Ditka. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> you gotta go Ditka. You gotta go Ditka. <laughs> he just got a lot of personality. He's gonna be fun to watch out there. <laughs> yeah, he is. Oh, my God. He is a classic coach. He's, he's uh, like, hardened. He's gonna have his beer and his Polish sausage, and he doesn't <laughs> give a fuck what you say, and he's gonna coach the Bears, and it's yeah. good. And actually, uh, from actually hearing, seeing a couple of interviews with him, actually seems like a pretty standout guy. I mean, I, I appreciate that he went on SNL, uh, you know, <laughs> that means a lot to me Yeah, uh, and, and that kind of stuff. So. If you can make fun of yourself, it, my respect meter for you goes up quite a bit. Absolutely. All right. So uh, let's kind of get our defensive guys out of the way. Adam, why don't you go ahead and take this one first? There have been some fantastic defensive players, obviously, throughout the years. Someone like uh, Charles Woodson, who was the most recent Heisman Trophy winner who from a defensive player. Now that was a while back though. You know, he's someone I thought about. There's some other like really good people, someone like a Ray Lewis, but he killed someone. So I I probably (laughs) didn't want to put him on my list. What I went back to was who is maybe the most electrifying athlete from the days that I remember football. I think of neon Deion sanders he was also a brave he was a brave and an atlanta falcon yep uh so he was a multi-sporter and so that makes me think of him i think i brought up you know i brought him up as you know thinking about using him for the baseball draft but i didn't but he was one of the best cornerbacks of all time yeah and him you know playing for the falcons that he did i do have a special place in my heart for him so i chose neon Deion sanders as one of my players and then besides that i wanted a hard ass someone who is very tough someone you don't want to fuck with And when you think of, like, some of the best, toughest, hard-as-nail guys out there, LT, the original LT, Lawrence Taylor, who was a hell of, like, just a tackler, and I think he's got a shit ton of sacks and things like that. Yeah, Lawrence Taylor, he's a mean motherfucker, and I wouldn't want to mess with him, and so I have a lot of respect for him and his play, so he's just one of the best defensive players ever. So, yeah, I got Deion Sanders and Lawrence Taylor. Both good picks. I am not going to lie. My defensive picks were influenced heavily by Tecmo Super Bowl. <laughs> uh-huh. But both of them were good players, and I think both of them are Hall of Fame players. So it's not like at a, at a left field. Uh, my first guy, he was a great, um, I think he was a defensive end. He went on to actually now has a very prolific uh, announcer career. Mm-hmm. I forget which network he announces for, but uh, he was a great defensive player. My first player is Howie Long. Oh, yeah, yeah. He played for the Raiders. Yep. He had a good look to him. I don't know what it is, but like, yeah, kind of his crew cut that he had. <laughs> like, there was just something that I liked about it. I think his son even plays football now. Oh, okay. Uh, and is doing pretty well, I believe. Uh, and for my next one is a, a, a guy who is, I'm and I'm going to refer- reference the game. He plays for a team that on the game is not kind of like a mid-level team. It's not really great not really bad but he's a linebacker and he's the fastest player in the game he's literally the fastest player in the game Mm. 
as and, a linebacker and a linebacker and he was he was actually a very good linebacker in real life um unfortunately his life was cut short around 2000 um, but this was after he had retired uh my other defensive guy is Derek thomas Derek Thomas. Okay, I don't even really know him. He was kind of a gem player that I found on the game. And oh, then yes, for, uh, for Kansas yeah, City for Chiefs. for Kansas City. Yes, okay, I remember that. Or I remember him. I think probably remember him most from, from Tecmo Super Bowl as well. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, how the hell was he the fastest? Like, linebackers are not faster than <laughs> cornerbacks or even wide receivers mostly. I don't know. That's cool. I blocked more punts and kicks on that game with Derek <laughs> Thomas than anybody oh, yes. else. Yeah, I do. Oh, man. All right, uh, now for the one that I actually had the hardest time choosing, tight end. I'll go ahead and pick mine. I'll be honest, I don't know a lot of tight ends. Um, I pretty much had two names that came to mind, one of them being, uh, was it Rob Gronkowski? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's he's a current, he's currently playing. I mean, he's going to, yeah. he's playing at the Super Bowl, like, that's going to be that's releasing the day this comes out. Yeah, but I actually went with probably the guy who, if you were a uh, gun to your head, a lot of people would probably say was the greatest tight end ever. And I went with uh, Tony Gonzalez. Tony Gonzalez. Uh, Tony Gonzalez is a fantastic choice. Um, you know, you have other names to choose from who are solid as well. Antonio Gates. Yeah. He's played for a long time. He's fantastic. Uh, Shannon Sharp was a great Yep. Uh, tight end as well but because uh i mean Gron- as you mentioned uh, gronk he might go down in history eventually as the best tight end of all time and he is very very good yeah but the reason i chose also tony gonzalez you know he has the second most receptions of all time there's only one person ahead of him who has more receptions who you'll probably hear from <laughs> in a second probably but from both of us he- Tony Gonzalez is also sixth of all time in yards. You know, that's including all the wide receivers in history. Yeah. Tony Gonzalez has some amazing stats, and he was a Kansas City Chief. And more importantly to me, he was a Falcon for a while, and he was a good Falcon for a while. I I loved having him on that team. Yeah. And so, yeah, I also, I had to go Tony Gonzalez. That was an easy choice for me. All right. And now for probably the showboaters. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we're, we're definitely going to have one of the same names. Probably, Should we yes. just say it now? Is it worth even just... You want to do it? <laughs> sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it uh, together. Okay. All right? We'll say, all right, in three, two, one, Jerry, Jerry Rice. Rice. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wasn't even a question. No, he's, he's the leader in career yards, receptions, TDs, all of that. He owns those categories. Yeah. He owns wide receiver. He's the he's the wide receiver that everyone knows, even if you don't know what a wide receiver is. Oh yeah. Everyone knows his name. <laughs> I mean he's he's the greatest. Um so we both got that. So now let's now we have our other picks. All right. Pick. <laughs> all right, why don't you go ahead and say your other pick? Okay. So yeah, there are tons of other really good players out there. I had a tough time narrowing it down to these two players i'll say them both i almost wanted to go with calvin johnson Mm. with megatron who you know retired not that long ago he could still be playing if he wanted to just because of how dominant he is and how he was calvin johnson was so fucking good um and huge like just hands and arm and like just he was fantastic player yeah but i didn't end up going with him i went with a guy who i highly highly respect who actually who has the second most yards of all time only behind Jerry Rice and he has the third most receptions of any player you know behind Jerry and Justin and uh and just after Tony Gonzalez as well but the thing is what i like 
about Larry Fitzgerald mm. is that guy has been playing forever at such a high level. He's just been classy as shit. Like, that guy is someone who is respectable. He is someone who's never had, like, an ounce of issues with him. He's never seemed like a dick to anybody. He seems like a super nice dude. Yeah. And he's that fucking good, and he's lasted forever. And I think this year was his his last last year. But Larry Fitzgerald is absolutely amazing, and um, he, you know, he will go down as, you know, one of the top five wide receivers of all time Mm -hmm. and i think that's deservedly so i agree uh i didn't actually go with him i kind of went back and forth when a between a few people on on the wide receiver one i actually ended up going with someone who i just thought was kind of entertaining to watch fair enough he's a good wide receiver i don't he'll probably never go down as the greatest that ever there ever was but he was a good wide receiver i went with t.o terrell owens terrell owens is in like that hunt he's definitely in like the top five or top ten at the worst absolutely yeah yeah he was really good yeah you're you're dead on he was so entertaining to watch (laughs) he was yeah he was such a dick to people and it was fun man yeah when he was with san francisco and then uh philly and also like the cowboys like he was just man it was the to show (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was a lot of fun a lot of fun watching too I, i i don't disrespect that choice at all that's good so uh, let's move on to our running backs. I'll jump in with mine. We might have one of the same. I don't. I don't know. I. I kind of. I. Both of my picks are kind of older picks for this one. Okay. There was a lot of guys that you could have gone with. Could have gone Emmett Smith. Could have gone Barry Sanders. I was a big fan of Barry Sanders. But when it came down to it, I picked two guys who I love for different reasons. One of them, because he is he was not only a very good football player, he's one of the best all-around athletes we ever had until he hurt himself. My One of my mm-hmm. picks was Mr. Bo Jackson. Bo knows himself. Yeah. Bo knows. And the other pick I went with was purely for selfish reasons. He was a great running back, but he is dear and dear to my heart because of where we went to college. My other running mm. back is Herschel Walker. <laughs> yeah, he did not have... I mean, he was good in the NFL. He actually didn't start his career in the NFL. He started it in the USFL, which was a different league mm-hmm. than if they were trying to compete with the NFL at the time. Right. And I, if I remember correctly... I believe Herschel Walker was like the first person ever to get a million dollar contract, like in in any of the in either league. Oh, okay. And the USFL gave him a higher contract, and so that's I think why he went with them. I okay. think he was a good running back in those leagues, and he and in the NFL, he just because he didn't start in the NFL, he didn't have as much like all time yards, and right. he, you know he, he couldn't he couldn't go as far there as other people did. Herschel Walker is a god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a. It's funny you chose. So you went with an Auburn and uh, a Georgia Bulldog. So you like you're like the uh, you're definitely a fan of the SEC running backs, <laughs> right? No, that's a fantastic choice. And I almost went with Herschel Walker. He made my list, and because of my love for Georgia, yeah, I almost went with him. Now I will tell you, just I yes, I did go with Bo Jackson as well. Nice. He made my baseball list. If he made my my baseball list, he is certainly going to make my football <laughs> list. Right. Because I, I think, honestly, football was his better sport, but he was fantastic at everything. And in that Tecmo Super Bowl game, like, specifically, you had to tell tell people, oh, you can play as any team but the Raiders because Bo Jackson was unstoppable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unstoppable. <laughs> so you had to be like, no, you can play as anybody but not the Raiders just, just because he was too fast and too good. Right. <laughs> 
But yeah, so, all right, so Bo Jackson was one of my choices, and I almost, almost went Herschel with it just because of my love for Georgia. Right. Um, but ultimately, I thought of NFL side, and Herschel wasn't as strong in NFL as it was with other stuff. So there's some other great names. You already mentioned Barry Sanders, You meant, and you hadn't mentioned someone like Walter Payton, right. who was absolutely amazing, or someone like Jim Brown, who I really, oh, yeah. really wanted to go with, because Jim Brown was amazing. Yeah. He dominated. But I went with somebody who you did already mention, and actually he went to the University of Florida. Uh, so he is someone who is also from the SEC, um, but he is most famous to everybody as the Cowboys kick-ass running back. And he is oh, yeah. one of the all-time leaders, I think, in yards. Emmett Smith. He yeah. just, he he played so long too. Like for running backs have such short careers, and Emmett Smith was so effective for so long that it's pretty it's Damn impressive. Yeah, he was a great player. One of those people who I admired, even though I didn't particularly care for football at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we saw how good he was at motivating kids and little giants. How could you not choose him? <laughs> <laughs> and so now uh, our field captain, as it were, leading the troops down the field, our quarterback. I'll go ahead and start this one. Uh, I probably went with an unexpected pick. It's not to say he was not a bad quarterback. He was a, a pretty good quarterback. He was not anything to write home about. You know, he's not. He wasn't a Tom Brady. Um, he wasn't a Joe Montana. But I always loved this guy, and it was for one simple, stupid reason: because he was left-handed, <laughs> and I was left-handed. Finding someone, finding a quarterback who was left-handed, just especially in the '80s and '90s when I was kind of in that impressionable era, and always looking for, you know, you're looking for someone to look up to. Finding someone who was left-handed in baseball is easy. Finding someone, finding a quarterback who was left-handed was a little odd. So I latched onto this guy as somebody I cheered for. I I rooted mm-hmm. for him to do well. He's kind of a funny little guy. He's got a great name. My quarterback is Boomer Esiason. Oh yeah, Boomer Esiason. Yeah, he does have a good name. Now he, I think he went into uh, some announcing as well for a good while. I think he did too. Yeah. Was he with the uh, the Jets? Jets. Is that yeah. right? He was with yeah. the New York Jets. Okay. I don't think he's on every, anybody's even top ten. <laughs> probably uh, not quarterbacks of all time, but he does have a good name. If I was picking all time best, I probably would have gone Joe Montana. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Joe Montana is fantastic choice, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> Joe Montana has won four Super Bowls. He's been in four Super Bowls. He has a 100% win rate and four Super Bowls. That's incredible. Yeah. But I did not go with Joe Montana. Uh. I went with a quarterback who I despise, <laughs> who I fucking hate. <laughs> but I have to admit, he's probably the best of all time, which just is so not it's not making me happy and particularly what's not making me happy john is he's going to be playing right now you know (laughs) probably as people listen to this podcast after the super bowl is over he could potentially have won his sixth super bowl of all time right and i sure hope he doesn't because he's playing against the la rams that's my fucking team i want the rams to win So this Super Bowl is against the Rams and, of course, the Patriots, the fucking Patriots. And Brady has won five Super Bowls. That's more than any other player has, I think, even been to. Right. No other player has even been to... Or no, one, I think, sorry, one other player has been to five. I take that, yeah, I can't remember who it was. But Brady has won five, been to eight. Now he's going to be going to nine. Yeah. Going to nine Super Bowls is... Just getting there is tough as fuck, and he's already won five, and he might he might have won six by the time <laughs> this episode comes out. And that God, that pisses me off. I hate him so much, but he's fucking good. I chose Tom Brady. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, I can't fault you for that because I I hate him because he's so fucking good. And he's yeah exactly, and he's got his chisel fucking butt chin jaw or whatever, <laughs> and he's dating a supermodel, and his life is so fucking perfect. And I fucking hate you, Tom Brady. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, what you going to do? You can't deny it, man. He's fucking good. You really can't. You really can't. The, the numbers do not lie. All right. Well, that was our fantasy football team picks for this episode. Fuck you, Tom Brady. <laughs> Please join us next time for our 50th episode. Really excited about that. Thank you, everybody who has been listening. We are going to be doing an album review episode of 1994's Blues Traveler album, Four. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows from your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.